0: Today on the Dad the Best I Can Show,
1: I was bumped when I was in LA in law school. I did actually get bumped for Seinfeld. Oh wow! So uh, it was an open mic night. It was actually it was a terrific experience. My um, one of the biggest lessons that I think I took away from comedy is um, the Thursday night show at a lot of clubs is not the busiest night of the week it's often the first night that the performer will be there Mm -hmm. they travel typically in that day and so you may get a light audience 30 people 40 people something like that um and i'm always interested to see which comics give their real show and which comics phone it in and i always think less of the comedians who phone it in that those people chose to come out on Thursday night. They want to see your show, and so you should give them your show.
0: All right, welcome to the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio. Today, we are lucky to be joined by Jamie Bendel. Jamie is a stand-up comedian, a lawyer, an entrepreneur, probably 50 other things that we're going to talk about, but most of all, he is a dad. How's it going today, Jamie? Dad first. It's going great. How you doing? I'm doing well. In true dad fashion, you're coming from a kid's doctor's appointment. I'm making a play date like four minutes ago. It's we keep it real. Yeah,
1: I you know what? I was never a big fan of. I was never a big fan of the vocabulary of play date. It is bad. I, 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 you can you wanna wanna get the kids together to go play? No, the the formality of the play date always felt like it put too much
0: pressure on the kids <laughs> you should see. Like, i have I, them figure I, out their own friendships and it's me usually texting other moms so i'm like i have to i reread my text i'm like how is this gonna come across it gets a little awkward sometimes oh yeah you get it to be, for comedy. Uh, that's right right the does uh, timmy want to come over and play is a little weird sometimes
1: yeah that's i guess maybe that's but it's unfortunate that we all live such lives where you we can't really have as many like I guess the free range kids where you're like, just go out in the neighborhood and yeah.
0: reading at five. Yeah. I like those days. I miss them. Yeah. Uh, quick story. Before we get started, I have to tell you the audience, how I met Jamie for the first time is I was at the punchline watching, I forget what headline or somebody amazing. It was maybe Dan Soder. I can't think of who I've been there a bunch I think of times. It
1: may, have, it may have actually been Dan.
0: Yeah. And this guy, Jamie, walks up there. He's got the suit on. He doesn't look anything like he does now in quarantine version, but crushes it. <laughs> I put on a collared shirt. That is I impressive. went
1: though. No, I, I went from t-shirt to, to shirt with buttons on the collars. I mean.
0: You do look more like I got a dad. I got, a, I
1: got my formal hat on. All right. Anyway, sorry. So Jamie crushes button.
0: it. He's telling dad jokes, which I love. Very relatable. You know, most of the comp comedians are talking about, like, getting high and waking up at noon and Jamie's on there talking about his kid's soccer team so amazing I just thought he was some random comic I see I run into him then like a week later at the gym I say hi to him I'm like a comedy star gazer and then I had another comedian on a guy named Yoshi was on the podcast and I was Mm -hmm. talking to him I mentioned you he's like Oh, Jamie owns the punchline. What do you like? I was like, who is this guy? This is incredible. So (laughs) I've been I've been trying to get you on for about a year. I'm happy you're on today. No, I'm glad this worked out. And I I
1: have gone back to the gym. I haven't seen you at the gym during the quarantine times.
0: Is it is it is it's that here's my excuse. Is it safe to go back?
1: I say that on a, on a rolling two week basis, it so far seems safe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I,
0: I have been slacking. Yeah. I got out, I got out and ran. That's been my thing, Did but you? I need to get back in there. I missed yeah. those, those, those hot yoga sessions. I need them for my soul.
1: Well, I, and I only use, there's one bike that I will ride. So I haven't done any machines or weights or whatever. I've dropped all that in the pandemic. Cause I've noticed that a lot of the guys that are overused in the free weights are non-maskers. So me and the middle-aged ladies do our cardio masked.
0: Do you? Nice. Yeah. Isn't it weird? These are populations way down. Gym is super empty. Maybe that's good. Yeah. This is like a, what I love about podcasts and video YouTube, these are timeless. So I hope and like, 10 years, your kids are going to look back at this and be like, what are they talking about? You're wearing masks. There's a pandemic. I hope like the world is very changed and this is uh, a little bit stale news by then. Yo, this is, this is clearly
1: recorded during the before times. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I do sometimes feel like we are still in the first 20 minutes of the zombie movie. You know, none of, none of the really good stuff has happened yet. We're just, we're, you know, it's, the because uh, I, I don't recall the, any disaster movie where there's somebody in the situation room advising the president to say, but Mr. President, what about youth sports? <laughs> what are we what are we gonna do about the high school varsity football season? You know? <laughs> so we're we haven't even gotten to the point where they've abandoned all those conversations. This is know?
0: a long movie. I love also everybody's like, I can't wait for this year to be over, like on January first, uh, things are gonna magically change. Like you said, I think we're we're just digging into this. This new reality. Oh, totally, totally, totally new, new normal. I can't yes. wait till we start to have uh, cupped
1: elbows as an evolutionary change, where we bump, you know, a uh, little little behavior modification. Yes. Right. The it long, looks- the long elbowed will will have preference in the future over the short elbowed.
0: I'm convinced nobody will be like mating. I think our population is just like gonna decline very right quickly, right off the cliff. Yeah.
1: Right off a cliff.
0: Which is probably good as a dad for three daughters. How old are your kids?
1: Uh, So my daughters are now uh, 19, 18, 16. So we are, uh, my youngest just got her license. So everybody is out on the road. And I will tell you that I had in my notion, this notion in my head that the quality years with the kids went through the end of high school and what i realized is the biggest change in the relationship with the girls when i got to be teenagers is when they got behind the wheel because I, they went from not having to rely on me or for rides to being able to have some additional freedom and as a result the amount of time that i felt like they were around and accessible to me um, diminished significantly so If you, if you have, if you're a dad who has this clock in their head of like, oh, I got my kids, an eighth grader, I got five years left. And you don't, you got like two and a quarter.
0: 16, they're gone. It's just, uh, and then you have that, you have a little bit of that fear. I guess that's always just wired into you where you're like, oh my, I mean, I didn't know how to, I can't believe somebody gave me a license at age 16. You got three of them driving around.
1: So here's the funniest. So my uh, daughters for the most part are age appropriately, like or technologically, technologically appropriate, uh, textures, right. Um, so that we very rarely talk on the telephone. So I will tell you that it it is, and probably other parents had a similar experience where kid leaves the house in the car. And then within like 10 minutes, they're actually calling you on the telephone. And the immediate thought is, well, clearly they've just been in a car accident. They just <laughs> left the house, and they never call me. So something bad must have happened. Um, my wife is big on the Life 360, so she's a watcher. So, so when the kids were first learning how to drive, she'd be on her phone, you know, tracking them. Which I, I don't have any of that on my phone, and I don't do any of that. I figure. There was an app that I think when my oldest was driving, it would alert you when she was moving in a car and when she was stopped in a car. But outside of that, I don't need to know the specifics of yeah. what you're doing. Yeah.
0: That's intense. That's like the yeah, baby totally. monitor times on steroids. I don't think I need any. Totally. Of that. Totally.
1: It's actually, it's the other part. So did you have, with your kids, did you have like the 3D pictures, the, the ultrasound? 3D? When they were
0: in there? Yeah, they're still yeah. creepy and hanging somewhere.
1: I, I, I'm I so thankful that we missed all of that. Yeah. We had Our baby pictures essentially look like Bigfoot, yeah. you know, at a distance in the woods. You can't really quite tell what it is. I assume there's something in there. Yeah, Here, it's like, oh my goodness, I can see all of it. And... Feel like that would ruin some of the, some of the surprise of when they're actually born.
0: It's, it's too much information. Did you know you were having girls every time or were you one of those wait until you get to the delivery room surprise?
1: We were surprised every time.
0: Wow. And I,
1: and I have very strong opinions about why that should be. Tell us. It is driven by the fact that obviously the parents participate in the making of the baby, but The rest of the pregnancy is experienced 100% by the woman, right? She experiences all the physiological changes. She's dealing with everything that's involved with growing another person inside you. The only other part that you actually get to share together as a couple is when the child is born. And I think that part of the magic of pregnancy is all of the speculating that you do What if it's a boy? It'll be like this. What if it's a girl? It could be like that. What are we going to name it? What are we going to, and as soon as you know what it is, you eliminate half of that. And I think it really ruins some of the, some of the, some of the magic of a
0: pregnancy. The romance you can, yeah, you can bond together. That's true. Yeah.
1: You know, it's the last, it is the last surprise that you get to share together about. So I have team don't find out.
0: I think uh, today we're just so instant gratification that the doctors like you want to know and everybody, you know, they got to have their party, which is a whole, I'm sure comedy yeah. routine, these pink yeah. and blue things. It's, oh. it's gotten, it's gotten really out of hand. And I hope, I hope we can rein it in one of these days. Yeah,
1: They yeah. have uh, and I don't know what the idea would be, I guess what would be the opposite of it. So I'm, uh, and again, I, I think for some reason I can, we miss the gender reveal party yeah. stuff. Um and certainly the extravagance of it. Um, there is no end of life <laughs> c- comparable yeah. event, right? right? There's no
0: tumor reveal party to yeah. be like,
1: we got a tumor and we don't know what it is, you know, come on
0: over and we'll we could I don't know. That sounds right? like a new business. You could we could start one of those. You gotta you gotta laugh. All right. Right. So, Jamie, tell us. Yes, everything has gotten completely out of control. We're very we're too self-indulgent. The whole thing is is gone off the rails. But so I want to know. I know Jamie as the comedian and also now he's a lawyer. He's in real estate. He's in all these different things. Jamie, 22 years old. How did you get your start on this on this ride? Tell us
1: uh well from a professional standpoint i I, uh decided i was going to try i wanted to be an extra in movies um and at the time atlanta even then i i'm originally from upstate new york came down here to atlanta to go to college and had this notion that i wanted to be an extra in movies because there were movies that were filming around town i had no idea how to do that um i looked in the back of the local free paper about how to get the headshot taken Went to some photographer that advertised in the back of it there. Got totally scammed, out of some cash, wound up with no pictures. It was a, it was, um, a fairly naive experience that I had um, relative to trying to get these headshots taken. About a year later, decided there's got to be some other way that I could become a extra in movies. And so I decided I would try stand-up comedy. That would be the way to do it. Signed up for an open mic that day once I decided I was going to try it was fortunate enough to get up on stage, had a good experience on stage, was terrible as a performer, but the overall experience was pretty good. And uh, then was fortunate enough. And there was enough of a comedy scene at the time in Atlanta that I, I got good enough. There was enough opportunities to perform that I was able to start making some money at it pretty quickly. Um, got out on the roads throughout the Southeast kind of touring as a comedian. When I got to the end of college, I decided I would go to law school um my father is a lawyer i I had some intention and desire to work with him i you know i respected the way that he had um, put together a life and so was fortunate enough to get into law school out in california and so decided i would go try to be law student by day comedian by night and that's what i did and then um, came back here to atlanta uh, passed the bar here in new york and in massachusetts started making my home here in Atlanta. And shortly a few years after being back, uh, the punchline turned out to be for sale. And so together with uh, two other partners, we bought the club and, and it was, it's been great ever since.
0: That's amazing. I mean, I have to, you went up the first day, did you have material or you just got up and winged it?
1: I had nothing. Wow. I remember calling my dad and being like, Hey, so listen, I uh, signed up to do some open mic comedy tonight. Do you have any ideas what I should uh, talk about or whatever? Um, And of course you only get three minutes. And as it turns out at the time, there was a place in Atlanta that was called the comedy act theater. I'll never forget going in there. Of course I'd never been in a comedy club. So it wasn't like it was something that I had done. I was 20 years old and um, on the table, there's a little table tent and it says Atlanta's premier black comedy club. And I thought, Oh, okay. You know, never occurred to me that, you know, that a business would cater to one kind of audience or another, but this establishment did. And it could not have been a better place to start because it taught me a lesson that it takes some comedians years to learn, which is people are people and audiences are audiences. And just be true to who you are as a person um, and allow the audience to be true to who they are and it's easy to produce laughter out of that environment. Too, way, way, way too often, comedians make the same mistake that regular people make in their own lives, which is we presume things about the people we're interacting with because they look different than me, they worship differently than me, their bodies are shaped different than mine, um, and you can start to use it, I don't even know if it's a boxing analogy, but it's the phrase that people use, you can start pulling your punches. Um, you you maybe adjust your vocabulary you adjust the cadence of your speech you make some presumptions um, and you do a disservice to both yourself and whomever you're interacting with so uh, i learned quickly at comedy act just to be funny um, and, and that lesson you know has served me well throughout the years
0: well what i mean i have to say i've gone up twice and it's uh, as a bet with my friend it is as terrifying as people people say it is i mean i think maybe yeah. above public speaking above everything stand up comedy i think would be people's number one nightmare i could never do that do you find that to be true i mean you're in the business but
1: so I, so i've not i i never had never really experienced the afraid of speaking in front of other people thing Um, which is not to say that I haven't had occasions where I spoke in front of other people and it didn't go well. (laughs) Right. So, so, but I never had the, Oh my goodness, I don't want to be called on by the teacher. I don't want to read in front of the class. I don't want to, you know, that, that wasn't ever really part of my experience. So that, so that portion of it is a little bit hard for me to identify with. However, I will say that um, being funny, I, I don't know of any person who has never had the experience of making someone else laugh. And really the the difference between being a person who gets paid to make others laugh and being just funny in regular life is sort of just having an awareness of being funny. And so to me, if you are ever able to make someone else laugh, you should be able to get up on stage and make people laugh whereas I don't know that anybody feels comfortable saying I'd like to stand up in front of other people and educate them about the differences between whole and term life that seems intimidating that you're actually communicating information and you're trying to make the audience better off than they were when the when the your presentation began comedy is easy all I got to do is make you laugh at something and everybody has the capacity to both laugh and say something that makes another person laugh.
0: Hmm. I, I agree and disagree that I think, uh, I mean, you take it for granted how how vulnerable you are up there. And I think people misconceive that just because you're funny in real life, get up on a stage there and you have to be a performer. You have I mean, I, I imagine when you go up there, you know your stuff, cold or are you uh, even today or are you kind of improving a lot of
1: no things? i'm like right now most of my material I'll, every comedian who's getting on stage is going it's like you're starting comedy all over again because you have people that are coming out of a pandemic part of part of laughter is being relaxed um everybody's a little bit stressed who are these strangers sitting next to me what we, you know we're all sort of preoccupied a little bit about what's going on with us and We are all trying to process these emotions and these experiences that we're having relative to what's been going on, either personally in our homes, professionally in our work environment. You know, so um, I'm trying to work through a lot of new material because it does, you know, I tell jokes about being out coaching the kids games. You know, I've modified, I tell this joke generally, and it's a, it's a silly joke about the kids and their softball experience. And. Um, I used to do a variation of a joke about some version of saying, I'll tell you the truth as a youth, co- youth coach that your kid's actual coach may not tell you. And it's if they're not playing, it's because they're not any good.
0: <laughs>
1: now, uh, I've totally changed my coaching strategy where the worst, weakest kids on the team those with the most uh, fragile immune systems are out on the field. I want only the strongest and the healthiest with me in the dugout. Hmm. I am <laughs> not catching I am not catching wow, covid. Oh, that's good. Katie's got the sniffles. Be like, "You want to play shortstop today? You go on out and you play shortstop today, honey." I'm oh gonna man.
0: Keep, I'm going to keep Jennifer in here cuz she seems non feverish I, <laughs> I, I didn't even I didn't even think of that. We just wrapped up little league and I I was in the dugout with these kids and I'd never even crossed my mind that that they could be just little carriers.
1: They're total um, carriers. Yeah. They're total carriers. Now, thankfully, they should be breathing below us, yeah. right? So, thankfully, hopefully, they're not, you know... Yeah. You know I, yeah. I, 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 there have been times where I, I was at something recently, and it was kind of uh, innocent. But the, the person who came up to talk to us kind of came and kind of loomed over the table, and all I could feel was this, like, avalanche mm. of
0: possible contagion and I'm like oh, this is this is not yeah you know. state yeah it's, it is strange yeah. what was the i'm sure you've done so many coaching bits one of my favorites that you did was about the traveling soccer team like of the young kids you remember that one about how at seven years old they're traveling i, I mean oh, I well, it. well yeah so
1: so i think so here's here's what i i, I here's what I always try to remember right and I and i've i like a lot of parents i didn't intend so if you ask 22 year old me when you're 32 do you envision that you'll be a baseball coach or a basketball coach or a soccer coach and i would have told you that if i had kids i grew up in a household where my dad was the baseball coach and he was the basketball coach and um and I ne- so I didn't have a bad parent coach experience, and so uh, my father is a big role model to me. And I w- looked forward to the day when I would have children of my own and I would get to have a little bit of that relationship with them. But um, and I don't do good do well as a as an observer. So I was of the mindset that if I'm going to go to the field then I might as well help at the practice. And if I'm going to be at the field and I'm going to be helping at the practice, well, I might as well be the coach. Um, And so it was a little bit of a natural progression. And then once I became a coach, I realized that I started to kind of develop some opinions about, well, how the league should be run. So I thought, well, if I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna be coaching, I might as well be on the board. Um, and it, it's, I think the trap that people fall into, and I really do think it is a trap is we project success that we would like to see the kids have that can replace the kids own desire for success. So, I, I, on the one hand, I don't know that I'm a proponent of don't keep score, right? A lot of times there are ages where they go, we're not even going to bother keeping score. I don't I don't know that I subscribe to that approach. I think there is value to keeping score because it helps put the game in context. But I am a big proponent of you don't need to fixate on the score until much later, right? Um, and I think sometimes you get people that kind of get tied up in, there's a seven, u eight, u sporting event that matters. And I think most times when you, when they talk about, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be hopscotching all over the subject here, but a lot of times when they say, when it comes time to talk to your kids about like how babies are made, right? Your kid pops up a question and be like, Hey, how did, how did we even show up? Right. You, the tendency may be, for you to give a lot of information that the kid wasn't even really looking for, <laughs> right? So it, you you may get into physics and parts and names and all of it when you can go, oh, babies are made when uh, boys and girls uh, really love each other. And I go, oh, great, okay. And you're like, <laughs> I didn't have to do that much. Here, a lot of times in sports things, I think if you were to ask a lot of your seven-year-old players, your eight-year-old players four or five days after the game, tell me two things that happened in your game last Saturday. Many of them would really struggle to tell you something that happened in the game. Certainly something that was maybe your, they might never say to you, well, everybody knows Ryan's going to strike out right there. That's not anywhere in it. Mm -hmm. They're certainly not going to tell you we won seven to five and, and over that error in the fourth inning. Um, so I would say to parents and and for me, my participation when I've served on boards has been driven toward the bigger things that come out of games rather than the hyper focus on a specific outcome of a specific game.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to absorb all of that because we just wrapped up little league and it is, I'm like on the third base coach, just like, why do I care so much? I'm holding my breath when my kid has two strikes up there. Is it that we are kind of Not living vicariously through them, we want them to succeed. Maybe we don't want them to experience that that pain, but that is kind of what they need to experience in life, right? So, I think that the so you realize how much
1: it's an interesting concept, and I I haven't really thought of it in this kind. So, there are things that at my age, at your age, we should still be learning, right? We're not finished products. Some of it is because there are things that we can anticipate in our life that we haven't experienced yet. Maybe it's the loss of a parent. Maybe it's the loss of a job or the failure of a marriage or whatever things that still happen to people as adults, right? Becoming a grandparent. There's a lot of experience and learning that comes from that experience that still awaits us. Um, We look to the people around us to provide sometimes context we and how to interpret that stuff and so i think that there's a time as a dad there are often times where i felt like i'm running a science project with my kids so my my daughter falls and maybe my wife says oh oh my god the kid fell oh we gotta uh, uh. and the kid's like oh my god she's spazzing so this must be a terrible thing and maybe i should be spazzing too or uh my kid falls and i'd be like "Hey, buddy." That was pretty funny, right? And they, go, yeah. <laughs> and they get up and they kind of move on with thing. Th- so it's the same event, but the kid doesn't necessarily know how to process the event. So they look to us. So um, oftentimes when I would have a player that would um, cry or hurt or get on the, you know, on the field and whatever, my first question to them always was, are you hurt or embarrassed? because a lot of times the hurt isn't it the hurt doesn't exist but the embarrassment is high mm-hmm. and so i tend to utilize humor a lot even in my youth coaching of keeping the kids laughing and keeping them engaged and not like overthinking it and you know if they uh you know strike out or something they come back to the dugout and be like well that was weird wasn't it right <laughs> and rather than being like what were you doing swinging at that pitch you did the pop right that's yeah. you know that's there are so many reps that we get in sports, just like how many reps we get in life. And if you overemphasize certain ones over others, you can completely take the wrong message uh, from where your focus should be.
0: Yeah, I mean, as a coach, I'm I'm sure you're watching Maybe at least half of these parents that are—you don't want to say doing it wrong. Maybe they just don't know any better. But do you cringe they are 100% when you see? Hundred
1: percent doing it wrong.
0: Okay, thank you. Yes, but you yeah. see, I at we're at a seven-year-old game, and they're yelling at the kid to run. I'm just like, it's—it's it's embarrassing. But you—you're not going to change them. So, I mean, is there a message that you try to relay to the parents of the team, or you just say, "Look, follow my lead."
1: Um, so I think some of it's kind of follow, I would like to think some of it's follow my lead. Um, I, I do think that, um, uh, you know, I've been fortunate and I was just talking about it with a friend of mine recently. I, I knock on wood, missed a lot of the parent phone calls about playing time or game strategy or where their kid was playing i think in part because i never indicated that i had any interest in discussing any of that stuff like i'm just not going there with you so Mm i maybe maybe that avoided a lot of those kinds of phone calls um Part of it is because I think that my parents—I would like to think—understood that I was actually invested in who their kids were, um, and I was invested in trying to have them have some some success at what they were doing. The fact of the matter is is that I, I don't know if you saw, and it was—I uh, thought it was really really neat when I saw it. There was there was somebody who did all of these like line graphs. They were literally just lines and the lines represented the different people with whom we have relationships in life. And so by way of example, like as parent to child, my parents had life for some period before my line joins the picture. And then for some time period when I'm young, my my line and my parents' line are closely aligned and then there comes a point in my life where those lines separate a little and I'm getting a little independence and I'm establishing myself and we drift apart. And then typically when you get close to end of life issues, those lines tend to come closer together because we're, we're, we're caring for our parents, they have a, something, we drift together. And then the part that I think is hard, their line stops and my line continues, right? Um, and, and likewise my line existed and then it was my kids line and they come in and the sibling lines are different. And, um, so the thing that I would remind parents is, you know, you have a finite amount of time when, with your child at this phase of your life. And so, What's what's the return on that investment that you want to get out of that time? And if you feel like the most productive use of your time with your child when they are at that magical age of six or seven or 10 or 12 or whatever it is, is losing your mind over an at, at okay, but boy, that is not time that you are getting back, right? The investment of pursuing the sport is time that you're trading out to go hike or be out on the lake, or go to a museum. So you're already cashing that time in for something else. Why would you ever take time that you're voluntarily exchanging to be on that field and participate on that team and then complicate it by having it be a negative experience for the child or ever having that kind of frustration with your child, right? Um, That's just, it's kinda not not how I'm wired, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I imagine you're more introspective and self-aware. Would you say you had all of these things when your kids were, I mean, man, you had three close together. When you had a 6, 4 and 2-year-old, were you like um, savor the days or you're just 100%, like 100% uh
1: yeah. absolutely from all the right. from the word go. That was always absolutely absolutely my focus. Um and I don't know why it wouldn't, I mean, I know everybody's got their own ability, but I chose from a professional standpoint to try to organize my life in such a way that um, I could be at the recitals and I could be at the conferences and I listened to every kindergarten book reading that they did. And I did all those things because I know now I've got two daughters that are off on a college campus someplace. I got all the time in the world to be at the office. Um, but i I chose to prioritize at that time. um, and thankfully, I was able to do that to 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 be present in that way. You know. um, yeah, and well, I'm grateful for that. And I know not everybody can do it that way, but i was I was appreciative that I could.
0: Well, I guess had you taken the full time, only be a stand up and go on the road, maybe that you wouldn't have been afforded that opportunity. I'm sure you do see a lot of guys. That's a really tough life if you're touring all the time. you, it seems like you really did build your life where you're very diversified in the things that you do maybe that affords you that opportunity
1: uh, I think it created some spaces and and you know and, I, and, I, and I've talked with a lot of people so you you know it's it's interesting that you make reference to that because there have been people comedians who I know uh, who did take a cycle coaching one of their kids' teams and kind of took some time off from the road so that they could be a coach and they could be present in their parents because you are, you know, the traditional family time if you are working outside the home, it's evening and weekends. Well, you know, full-time comedians, it's travel Thursday, return Monday. That you're cutting out a lot of what are family hours. So mm-hmm. um, and I saw that. I mean, even when when the girls were younger, I'd be going down to the to the punchline. We every Friday night we go out to Friday night Mexican and we'd eat dinner together as a family. And then Kelly would take the girls home and put them to bed and I would leave and go to the club. As the girls got older, their bedtimes got later. They weren't, you know, they're, they were up until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, I would sometimes go later down to the club um, or I would uh, hang out with them a little bit, reduce the amount of time that I was at the club. And now really i i I can go to the club do whatever i need to do at the club i come home and i have teenage daughters that are still awake so Mm -hmm. we've kind of it's really come full circle (laughs) (laughs) you know and i have said to him before i said here's your curfew you need to be home before me so figure out when i'm going to be home be home before then,
0: you know so that's that is a great way to look i mean it seems like you are i don't know if you're consciously doing it but you're just very intentional about carving out this time and really you, you i mean that's the thing too is Like you said earlier, nobody teaches you how to be a parent. We are still learning. We're experiencing things for the first time and to expect to know this, I'm sure you have this experience too with your like, Oh, I realized my parents, my dad's a psychologist. I'm like, he had no idea what he was doing either if he was 26 years old with a four year old. Absolutely. And I, and the,
1: and so I have said to friends, I'd said it to, I I had a friend who just had a baby recently first child and, um, the comment that I made to them was um, parenting is as hard as you make it. And I, and I think sometimes it's easy to kind of get sucked into that idea of, well, everybody else is having a gender reveal party. We should have a gender reveal party. Everybody else is doing this thing with their kid. We should be doing with our kid. And uh, it's, I don't think it needs to be made that hard that, um, if we're lucky, our lives are long, our children's lives are long. And, and in some basic way, you could, you could make the argument that our only job as parents is to keep our kids alive. Right. That's, that is job one. Mm -hmm. Everything after that, you, you get some flexibility to um, make some changes about, you know? Um, And it's, and I think it's, it's, it's um, I, I will say that I think that from a parenting perspective, I've had to probably accommodate in a different way the the degree to which my wife's perspective on her childhood and the way in which she would choose to parent around things don't always necessarily align with mine. And so you do kind of have two systems sometimes and, and trying to find alignment in that and understand the way in which that works with kids is, is different. And then at some point, you know, teenage daughters are, and sons are far more autonomous in the way they express themselves than perhaps toddlers might be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, I think trying to parent in a way that still gives your kids space to learn how they are going to express themselves is, is a probably a recurrent challenge.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like you mentioned your parents early. I, I always like to ask guests on here. What is one thing you learned from your dad now that you're a parent that that you apply? Are there, I mean, was this something that your parents really kind of modeled for you or did you just, uh, what is something you learned from your, your parents?
1: Very much so. So I, I wanted, um, so in our, so what kind of, what, what was the, what was your household? Um, was it my parents, what was the structure?
0: Uh, I have a sis, one sister, four years younger, just the two of us and my parents.
1: Okay. But was it, was it kind of top down parenting? Was uh,
0: it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, my dad is a family psychologist, so I think he was very right. aware of that stuff, but, okay. uh, but not, so not traditional yeller not a, a yeah, more of let's talk a lot of eye rolling a lot of uh okay. yes a, a, a slightly different but right not the standard okay. yelling i mean there was some of that but it's all things that you know i i see i don't want to do that as a parent or i see this is not really even effective as a parent so why am i doing it right
1: well okay so for in my circumstance my experience was we both, of us, so I've got one brother. We both had the ability to engage in a conversation with my parents, with both of my parents, about whatever the issue at hand was. So we would often have, um, and and none of it was ever personally driven. So so it was kind of merit-based arguments about whatever it was. There was there was not much in the way of my parents saying to me, well, you're responsible or you're irresponsible or you're trustworthy or you're not trustworthy or whatever it was. It was mm-hmm. generally about the subject not ever directed at the kid. And so um, even as contentious as those conversations could be and even to the extent that those have sometimes continued into adulthood um, about whatever the subject matter is, as soon as it was over, it was, okay, so what time do you got to get to practice today? Or uh, what time is your project due? Or whatever. So there wasn't any lingering, uh, I'm getting the silent treatment from my dad or my mom's not speaking to me or, you know, whatever. It was whatever the conflict was and whatever it was, was over. And then when it was over, it was actually over. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with my daughters, I really tried to, I wanted two things. I kind of wanted the, um, and this sounds so terrible to say, but we, we always had dogs. And, um, if you've ever had a, if you have a pet, right, you want what I always refer to as like the kill switch. Right. So when the, when the dog's doing something, they're not supposed to be doing you are like, ah, ah, and the dog's like, Oh, okay. That's uh, I'm not supposed to be doing that anymore. I always wanted the, ah, ah Right experience with the girls to say what what's happening right now and i'm not using it all the time but when when you get that from me that means we are done however it was always followed by okay now let's talk about what's going on here right and and so i was a big proponent of you know when the kids were younger and there were more toddlers and five and eight and 10 and whatever. um, When I would go talk to them in their rooms about something that I felt was really worth talking about, I always got on their level. I was a big get on their level kind of thing. And even from coaching, I'm squatting down to talk to kids a lot of time because I think it matters like trying to be eye to eye. Um, So I think that kind of communication style, I really tried to impress upon them that it's okay to be vocal, it's okay to be assertive, it's okay to be whatever, don't be personal. And then when the, the conversation is over, let it be over and not not
0: carry any um, permanence to whatever. The right. That resentment is. and that, that right. guilt, that stuff that, you know, yeah. is, I mean, that's it, right. We know it doesn't work, but a lot of it, I, fi- I find it can be wired into you in some ways. So you do have to, it is almost like a muscle that you have to practice with totally. your kids and yeah. screw right. up one day and then the next day be like, I'm going to try and have that conversation a little differently right. at bedtime tonight. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So uh, now, did you guys, are you guys much of it? What, are you a timeout household? Are you guys, what's the,
0: you know, we struggle with that because there are a lot of like these, uh, if you don't put that iPad away, I'm gonna, and then that's, it's hard to really create that tight loop that kids are eight, mm-hmm. six, and three. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, there is, right. We don't do really kind of hard consequences per se, but there is a lot of try and talk about it. I know you have three. I always ask my friends, but three was a game changer for me. I didn't know that it's such a big jump and that, you know, for me getting those kids individual time is a huge thing for them and a huge thing for me. You can actually, you know, when I'm managing three kids, especially when it's just me, your coach, your circus ringleader. But when when you have your one kid and you can, you know, go outside, have a catch with them, take them to ice cream or something, it is a completely different experience. So that's something and I, learn that from a lot of guests on this podcast. That's, I really am trying to prioritize. Yeah.
1: Um, it, it's funny because I, that is something that I, it's how you, how you find that time. Uh, because I think initially because mine were so closely grouped together, um, I was able to do more things with them, you know, mm-hmm. cause there wasn't, there wasn't a six year old and an infant. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now as they're older it is definitely trying to find um because i do believe in equity right so i am always cognizant of well if i did this for this one i really need to do it for the other two um but there are times when it's like go on just me and you let's go do something Mm -hmm. and and figuring that out a little bit and i will say that i still find myself times where their home They're sitting in their room on a device, really doing nothing. I'm sitting downstairs on the computer, really doing nothing. And I'm like, this is, I'm not going to get this time back. So why am I wasting it this way? Like, it's Mm -hmm. just stupid, Mm -hmm. you know, just go and say like, come on, let's go walk the dog or come on, let's just go sit outside and talk. Let's do something other than you be non-invested in the time you're spending, me be non-invested in the time that I'm spending, and at some point, you're going to be 22 off on some job someplace and I'm going to be sitting around being like, man, it sucks. I didn't talk to my kid when they were sitting right here in the same house under you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, even if it's a conversation without purpose, it's just connection. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I mean, we do take it for granted. Everybody tells you, Oh, the time flies, you know, the days are long, but the years go by fast. And you know that as a cliche, but you know, when you're in it as a parent and I always tell people, I'm like, you're going to be losing your mind a lot of the time. You're going to be annoyed at your kids if you're actually really invested in it. So it's kind yeah. of like a, you know, contradictory in your head. Like, why is this so hard sometimes? And a lot of that is because it's worthwhile and you're making a difference.
1: Yeah. Well, and what are you wanting? I mean, I think at some point it is, it's an odd thing. And I think about it some, and it's not necessarily maybe the way that you um, we would necessarily conceive of it. But I do find myself sometimes thinking, um, if I met this kid as a stranger, um, and now obviously they're becoming young adults, you know, would I like them? Would I want to be friends with them? Um, I don't. I don't ever want to be in a circumstance where I feel like I like my child because I'm obligated to. Right? I really want them to be a person who I would actually be interested in. Knowing something about, and so um, you know, I think sometimes that frustration. Where is that frustration coming? Is it coming from internally to say, like, well, I, I, you know, I've got this kid that sleeps in till two o'clock every day. Did I drop the ball on teaching them how to get up early and attack the day? Like, did yeah. I miss my window? Like, and I find myself thinking about that now, um, because you don't think anything of telling a three-year-old, you're getting up mm-hmm. or you're going to bed. But somehow a 16-year-old gets to decide all of a sudden, yeah. you know, and I'll say that to <laughs> Kelly all the time. She's like, well, the girls want to sleep. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm, I'm getting them up. We're going to go do something. Yeah. like, well, you can't do that. They're sa- and I'm like, why, why can't I do that? Like, is yeah. there some age cutoff where all of a sudden you're like, well, they're, you know, they're 12. So they get to suddenly decide that they're right. not going to go to the movies with a family. I'm like, no, we're going to the movies.
0: That's good. Yeah. I like, and you that.
1: usually have a good experience.
0: Yeah, right. Always, really. always do. But it's always yeah. a, a slog to get there. There's always friction, eye rolling, all that. Yeah. You've got to push through it. I mean, I think that's yeah. yeah. I, I mean, t- t- yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's something that uh, you know this this podcast is on Jesse Itzler Station, and he mm-hmm. is really you know, and you and him have a lot of similarities of like. No, you're out there doing stuff. You're out there taking action and it's not always fun. He's running a hundred miles. I'm sure he's miserable for a lot of that. And it's, I ask him all the time, like, like he's trying to, you know, not tell his kids to do stuff. He's trying to model that kind of behavior and not stop learning all these things that it sounds like you echo. Thank you guys for listening to the dad, the best I can podcast on BYLR radio. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a dad friend. And go check out the new Dad the Best I Can book available on Amazon. I take the top highlights from 52 guests on the Dad the Best I Can podcast, like Jesse Itzler, David Cancel, and put them all into a nice little book. Makes a great gift for dad. Go check it out on Amazon. I appreciate each and every one of you listening and talking dad life with me. I'll see you on the next episode of the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio.